Hi guys and welcome to the Fife Property Show. A really interesting topic we've got today is a tax for landlords, allowances to claim efficient expenditure and easier accounting. Now today I've got uh, to discuss subjects with me today. I have Jim. Now Jim Parker, Jim, you are obviously... completely in my element today. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm an accountant by trade. This floats my boat completely and I'm an investor. Way. Yeah, Jim, I mean, I think we're, uh, being an accountant by trade, obviously, this is right up your uh, right up your alley. And also, being an investor and a landlord yourself, of course, you learn uh, these things firsthand. Also, we've got James Watson joining us today. Morning, James. Hi, Richard. Hiya. How are you doing? Um, this will be an interesting topic for you as well, uh, James, obviously, being a landlord investor yourself. What's it like for you now, James, just out of curiosity, you know, just where, I mean, how long have you been doing this? And and how do you feel about the accountancy aspect? So accountancy for me isn't a big issue. Uh, I'm a previous business owner. I did have an IT contracting business. Um, so I'm well aware of keeping all the receipts and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, property is just more or less the same sort of idea. Yeah. It's known what to claim and when to claim it, though, eh? I mean, most, expen most expenses will be similar, won't they? Um, but there is there is slight variations in the in the tax rules for for uh, investment income because we're classed as investment income. You could have a thousand properties, right, and 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 buy to let, and you're still classed as investment income. Work that one out. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, those are all uh, good points, obviously, that we're going to cover today. And I think with the annual tax return deadline, obviously looming. Uh, and it's only a couple of months off, then it's a better time, the best time to explore preparing uh, in advance to avoid the late night uploading on the January the 31st, which I'm sure maybe, maybe not Jim, because I know you're super organised, but James, yep. you've maybe ex experienced that in, the, in your time. Um, and it's not a good position to be in. You need to be prepared and, and uh, think ahead before, obviously, that date. Um, a lot of tips we're going to cover today can make things um, easier for you to start right now and then use your Christmas break to then collate all your receipts, like you say, James, uh, claim your allowances and submit your return well before the deadline. Does it sound about like Ebenezer Scrooge? <laughs> use your Christmas break. <laughs> just, the, just the way we've said that, use your Christmas, you could just sit there with your till receipts going, there's that, and with your calculator. And it's like somebody comes in and goes, would you like some turkey? No, go away, humbug. Yeah, I think I think the key is obviously to break up tasks. Um, and obviously most of us leave things to the very last minute, which means a slow build up of anxiety. And this grows obviously until the deadline obviously looms. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to be that way. And there are some tools uh, at your disposal to make you feel, um, make tasks feel smaller and manageable. And we're going to cover a couple of them today. I think as we talk about receipts and things, uh, maybe paperwork um, systems People find a wee bit overwhelming, um, and a neat trick to do um, if paperwork is something that you're you're confident dealing with is to have maybe twelve separate envelopes and have them all marked, obviously for each month of the year. And then what you do is drop your receipts in there each month, and and if they're not clearly marked, what they're <laughs> there you go, James. If they're not clearly marked for what they what they are, then write it on the envelope. And at the end of the year, you've got these twelve envelopes, and that's quite a good system to work with if paperwork's your thing. 
I mean, like I say, sometimes paperwork could overwhelm people. I, I was just about to say to any use practice, <laughs> but James has just obviously demonstrated that. Let's see then, Jim. This is it. <laughs> That's better organised in my lawyer's office. I, I tell you what, though. I tell you what, though. I'm quite good with it because the key is I actually make sure it's updated on a regular basis every week in the yeah. system, in my accounts. So while that looks like a mountain of paperwork, the reality is it is just record keeping for what's in the system. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Jim, because you'll have it all, obviously, it is all systematised. I know that because obviously you manage your properties and you also have an account as well. But you're amazed at how many landlords at this point in time are going, oh, I could relate to that. And yeah. it's like, but they've not actually got a system. <laughs> They're just waiting on collating that at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, obviously, um, there is a good way, obviously, divvying it up and, and being a wee bit more organised with your yeah. paperwork. I would agree. There's, there's also a lot of, like, the online um, banking apps and things are quite good nowadays, and I assume you probably do online banking. I do myself. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of that that could, obviously, they could split up your accounts and things, and this means you could tag your buy-to-let expenditure yeah. uh, to find it easy when, you, when the tax time comes. Um, and there's even an apps uh, for expenses where you can photograph receipts and, obviously, download them in. Um, and then the payments and, and turn your paper trail into a digital one, which is quite obvious. Uh, I use Tide, and Tide's yeah. got its own sort of uh, invoicing uh, element to it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, all my receipts can get scanned in and or photoed, and uh, immediately updates balances and things like that. So there's a uh, reconciliation gets done. Yeah, and, and I've stuck to I've stuck to Sage over the years. So mm -hmm. I started off on Sage Instant Accounts many many years ago. And then I've moved up to multi-company structure um, because I've got several companies now and several properties. So I've moved up to that. And But I tend to make sure that I follow the banking system. So I make sure yeah. most of my stuff goes through, recorded through the banking system. Therefore, I've always got a historical audit trail of what happens. And then it is literally just, literally just making sure that's reflected in Sage in the right, in the right accounts and the right accounts, and what I mean by accounts is if it's repairs and improvements, if it's gas, if it's utilities, if it's council tax, if it's water, if it's if it's you know anything else, um, to make sure it actually falls into that right category. So when it's when it gets to the year end, you can just hit a button and it produces it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The great beauty of online apps. Yeah, and the paper record keeping is absolutely essential because if you've got a knock at the door from HMRC, want to do a, an investigation. Um, then you have to have that, and they they maintain that you should have six years worth of records. Yeah, and, and then if they, find some, if they find something wrong, and it's back at the fourth year, they can actually go back six years from that year. Um, and then if they find back from the fifth year from there, they can go back six years from that point. So they could they could go right back to the almost the very beginning when time began for you, um, exactly. and, and 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 basically haul you over the coals. So. It's probably one of the most important things you can do, but taking the right advice from the right people is key, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, I think um, yeah, it is a really important important element, yeah, and you have to do it right. And like uh, James says, if you're going to get audited, then you better make sure you've got all your paperwork in order, and, and not just for the previous year, like you say, for the previous six, and if they pick it up, then further than that. Um, speaking of apps and things, there's a lot of popular apps out there. Jim, you said Sage, obviously. Sorry, what did you say, James? 
there's a lot of ones. There's like things like QuickBooks and all the rest of it. Yeah, there's now. also, I think there's Zero as well. I think Zero, there's another one. Yeah, so these are all good tools to use. And I think ideally if you're if you're got the ability to use apps and things and then they just like obviously receipts and paperwork it's a, it's a good way to keep a track of things i'd be interested to hear of anybody else out there what they use apart from the ones that we've just mentioned yeah because there is a lot that we've just mentioned you know because it'd be interesting to hear from them if if that is the case or if there's any other apps out there that they think was better for them or is better for them and using their for their buy to let business and their investment portfolio yeah definitely stick that in the comments um and uh share it with us and obviously anybody else that's watching would be interested to know um like you say jim obviously you have got quite a big portfolio um and tax could get obviously a little bit more complicated and things so you use an accountant um yeah I, i've predominantly got a bookkeeper that does well i do bits now and again because i do have yeah. access overall access to the system but so i'll do maybe tidying up now and again when i want but I, I, predominantly i've got a bookkeeper that works on the day-to-day -day basis on a part-time basis and then you know, I'm just, I've learned from my, my experiences that you pass it to an accountant at the year end once you've done all the donkey work um, in the beginning and they just finalise everything and submit the accounts. Um, it does make it does make good sense. I mean, you can do it yourself and I did it myself in the early days, but using a using a, a proper accountant and a clever accountant, I'm not just saying any odd accountant um, is probably the best way to go if they understand property tax. That's the key here. Yeah. You've got to get an accountant that understands property tax. Otherwise, you know, you'll just get, I'll just submit it by what you've given me and make any changes to stuff, but I'll not give you an advice because I don't really specialise in that area. Yeah, it is important to have, if, if you've got somebody dealing with your, your, your stuff, then they need to know um, the ins and outs of property tax properly. Can I give a good top tip? Here's yeah. a good top tip. And uh, using a managing agent is a really good option. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to... Yeah, for most small landlords, okay, or investors that are just starting out, if you've got a managing agent, they'll do all the work for you if everything goes through them. Because, you know, in theory, you should get one remittance every month and it should have your income and it should have any outgoings, including repairs and improvements, if you've authorised them to do it. So literally, if you had one property and they ran that property and you did nothing else, you could be literally taking 12 remittances <laughs> and just passing on to your accountant and go, that's my property for the year. Yeah, if you've got a managing agent who's doing that properly, um, like you say, Jim, in theory, it's that simple. Uh, yeah. And it saves you a lot of the work. Uh, we do it ourselves, obviously. Um, Jim, obviously, we manage yours, and that's how you'll uh, receive your, your remittances and things each month as well, and they will go onto your accountant and they'll put them together for your tax return. And that is really a simple way of doing it. Sorry, James. That's exactly how I do it. I also send on a spreadsheet with a, with a high-level overview of everything that's went in and out. Yeah. So they've got it at a glance rather than fumbling through remittances. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that is the key. I mean, as long as you've got some sort of KPIs at the top and then you, if you want to drill down, you know, you can drill down from there, but then you could go on to individual you know, invoices, expenditure, or rents coming in, uh, just to, you know, if you want to find out what's happened. I mean, classic example from year to year. This is why, this is probably why you, use, um, you do the accounts and you make sure. You compare them year to year and you think, okay, does my top line income reflect exactly my same top line income as last year? 
if you've got the same amount of properties. If it doesn't and it's a lot more, then you go, okay, so how's that happened? Is my occupancy rate gone up? Um, is is my rent gone up? Uh, is it a combination of both? Um, and that's effect. why you would want that. Yeah, that's why you'd want that. And then if, you're, if your overheads have gone up or come down, then you can do something similar and you can analyse that as well. Um, what um, top tip for here for the tax man, and it might be there later on, and I might mention it again, is yeah. make sure from year to year uh, the the proportionate amount of deductions, in other words, if your expenses were 60% of your income, I'm, I'm just saying overall 60%, of yeah. your income, make sure the next year that your expenses are probably around about that same figure, about 60% of your income. Because what happens is their whole system works on the principle that if your expenses are maybe 80% this year, it flags up in the system and spews it out. For It's called an exception reporting. So that's how the tax man works. They don't look at every single tax return. They look at exception reporting. So they just look at the big swings from year to year about, you know, what did you have last year? What did you have this year? What is the industry standard compared to what you're doing in the percentages overall, not the numbers? Uh, and that then spews out a report, which then says we should maybe look at that a bit further. And that's Good. how you get a visit. That's why I've never been visited in the last 25 years. I was never visited either. But I've still got all the records. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's a brilliant well. You're meant to keep them for six years, but I've got everything right back to the very beginning, almost 30 years ago. I think I'll go back as far as 2006. Yeah, I mean, that's that seems quite reasonable. And I think it's just good practice to, to have a record going back a certain amount of period just to kind of safeguard uh, in the event, um, obviously, of audit and things as well. I think also um, we'll look at um, using your allowances, obviously, at your advantage. And the best way to minimise your tax bill is obviously to take advantage of your tax deductible expenses as well. Um, there are more allowances than uh, landlords realise, I think, really. And, and I've spoken about this recently, and people um, aren't fully aware of what the tax deductible um, allowances are to them as a, as a landlord. Um, and they mount up to a significant saving in your tax bill. And having a good managing agent is really important, again, uh, on your side, because they'll help you claim everything that you're entitled to without having to do a lot of research. Obviously, if we're doing repairs that are not deemed to be Obviously, improvements, um, if they are uh, tax deductible repairs, then obviously um, we'll make you aware of that. And there's a lot of allowances that are available to landlords. And I've got a big list of them here, and I'm just going to run through them quickly. Just obviously. Yeah, okay. You can fill in the blanks. Okay. James, yeah. what do you think? What do you think allowable allowances in the beginning, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of expenses and that? What would you, what would you tick off? Right, so right at the beginning, uh, I have two properties in my name before I even started the limited company. Yep. Uh, and I work in an industry that has a above above the national average salary. So I've got the potential that I could end up getting caught with a higher rate of tax. Yep. So one way to mitigate that was to increase my salary sacrifice contribution to my pension, which then lowers my take-home pay and then has a knock-on effect with the rents I'm able to get without hitting that high rate tax threshold. Perfect. That's a great yeah. That's a great answer. Yeah, uh, some of the other allowances um, you would normally have from day to day is probably, well, if you're losing, if you're using a lighting agent, you could use a lighting agent. There's a, there's a bit of ambiguity between improvements and, well, what's called as capital expenditure, which is an improvement, and a revenue yeah. expenditure, which is uh, something that's instantly deductible. I think the tax man in most cases now would argue that 
or, or we, we would argue, and the taxman would probably agree that most in most cases now, and you don't really get that many improvements anymore. Most of the things are actually just instantly deductible because most of the houses have actually got everything in them. It was there before. So an improvement, let me explain that. An improvement is something that wasn't there before that you've put in. For example, if you didn't have a bathroom or an ensuite and you added an ensuite onto your bedroom, that would be classed as an improvement and it would be actually capitalised. It wouldn't be deductible against your rental income straight away. If you were to replace your ensuite, which was there already, it would be revenue and it would be instantly deductible straight away. So even if you replace an old sky, you know, um, uh, um, um, shower and stuff like that, and put a brand new one in, you know, top of the range if you want, it's entirely up to yourself. Um, that would be instantly deductible against your profit. Um, the if you do have single glazing, your you, it was brought in years ago that would they would allow double because everybody would replace with double glazing anyway, wouldn't they? Yeah. So they allow double glazing to be a replacement now for single glazing, uh, mm -hmm. and that's the one that the tax man got caught on me with and i told the story before but i'll tell it again i had done thirty thousand pounds worth of what was deemed i had deemed at the time was improvements in terms of putting double glazing and doors in uh, now this was back about 25 years ago and um, so it's a, it was a lot of money at that time and then i had actually put it down as improvements therefore my tax bill was actually quite high after he visited me he actually came back and said no that was actually changed last year it's now revenue expenditure because we expect, that's why I just said about the they accept the fact that you would replace with double glazing rather than single. And uh, and he had to pay me about a thousand pounds in tax. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> and instantly deductible. But then they get you on the upside and the fact that if you do decide to sell, then they've nailed you with more capital gains tax. So you've, you've kind of got to think about where that sits. And, and if you're never selling, it wouldn't make any difference then. You, if you're never selling, the only the most important thing is actually to get everything, everything through as a revenue expenditure. So yes. other things, costs for gardeners, window cleaners, uh, house cleaners, um, council tax. Council tax. Um, just as yeah. I said before, if you've got no tenant, you've got a void, council tax. Um, factor yeah. fees. Factor, oh, that's a good one. I, I, I've got that on a few of them, factor fees. Yeah. Um, well, clearly maintenance and repair costs, which we talk about. Which is the which will probably be the biggest amount of deductions that you'll have uh, if if you've got properties that are, are not new built. I mean, if you've got new build, you're probably that proved minimal. But if you've not got new build, which probably you should have, um, I don't think you should really be buying new build for buy to let because it's not really that efficient. There's a huge amount of profit built into there from the builders. Um, you should really just be buying refurbing and 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 actually capitalising on that at, at that way and and that will be deductible. So it will be things, it will genuinely be things like a replacement kitchen, a replacement bathroom, replacement windows, replacement heating system, um, carpets, um, decoration. Anything else, James? Um, I think you've hit more or less all the main ones, to be fair. Aye. Uh, insurance. Well, insurance, that's another good one, yep. yep. Um, buildings, content insurance, uh, oh, accountancy fees. Yep. Um, yep. What else? Uh, Dare I say it? It'll come to it on some occasions as eviction costs. Yeah, legal um, fees. Legal fees if you need to yeah. do evictions. In terms of that, um, um, uh, you can you can keep the eviction cost to a minimum if you if you do the process in the right way, um, because you you generally find that the tenants are actually you know are you only 
let's talk about eviction. You only evict, we only evict tenants, and James will probably agree with this. You only evict a tenant in the last resort. Yes. You know, that, that's it's like the last thing you want to do in, in the world is evict a tenant. And the only reason a tenant is getting evicted is because they're refusing to pay the rent when they can, or yep. they're antisocial behavior and they're actually disturbing everybody and they're damaging the property. That's about the only two things you'll ever want to evict somebody for. And yeah. apart from that, it, like there'd be no other grounds unless you want to sell it or you want to move back in it. But but that's really it in a nutshell. Uh, so it's eviction's always the last resort. Yeah. In terms of expenses, I've thought another two. So you can claim mileage yeah. if you're having to go out and site visits and whatever else. Good show. Uh, and also uh, now, how do you, how much allowance do you do? Do you do forty five pence per mile? So you get forty five pence a mile up to ten thousand miles, and then twenty five pence a mile thereafter. But then, obviously, if you're doing ridiculous mileage, then that might get questioned. Yeah. Uh, always keep your investments kind of close for that specific reason. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, working from home allowance. I think you get six quid a week for working from home that you can claim. Yeah. That's uh, a good shout. I mean, it all adds up, doesn't it? Well, it's also, phone calls and things as well, if you're self-managing that as well. Phone you know, calls, a proportion of your mobile phone, if you're using your mobile phone, yeah. you can actually claim maybe a proportion. So if you use your mobile phone, typically they try and get away with saying you only use it 10%. But if you can prove it, you're using it about 50% of the time. Then, you can claim then it a lot, that. actually. <laughs> right. if you can I use it specifically for my property business. Exactly. That's, that's the key here. Uh, to have a separate uh, SIM card and a separate line, uh, apart from what you're doing, that way you're not getting disturbed except for on that line, and you know it's to do a rental inquiry, or, uh, or it's a problem with it. With that, it's not your personal. Uh, so you, so it's kind of keeping it separate and keeping mm -hmm. that, you know, that um, that separation in your between your investments and your and your personal life. Um, Professional uh, fees is another one, Jim. So if you're yep. a member of the National Landlord, whatever. I was just going to say, it's the only one that's on the list that he's never, he's never mentioned. I was going to wait. I would, I would argue broadband costs as well. Yeah. So yes. Broadband costs if you're using well, them. That actually, your, that actually work, works into your six quid a week uh, working for home allowance. Yeah. And, and, and oh, what else? What else could there be? Um, I, I think that I think that covers the main thing. You've got the gas and electricity and water as well, you know, mm -hmm. um, or, or, Waters including council tax in Scotland. Yeah. So that's that's probably about it. Um, if anybody else could think of anything. Yeah, if there's anything else that's, that we've not mentioned, um, I'd, be, I'd be interested to hear people's views on what they have uh, maybe in, in their own experiences had as tax, tax deductible expenses and things that we've not covered there. But I think that's generally the 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 uh, the bulk of them. Uh, and I, I think know, probably. Know, really. If anybody's not sure about that, then there's, they could feel free to contact us anywhere, message us yeah. here personally. Stationery, printing costs and stamps and stuff and toners for printers, you can claim mm. all that stuff as well. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. But you Richard. Yeah, I think it's I think it yeah, it's about making the most of your bite late. And obviously if um you're looking at all these aspects and and doing uh, right through that whole list, obviously that is gonna um obviously help you make the best of your buy to let but i think also like you said to jim talking about repairs and obviously the single glaze to the double glaze it's all about making a uh, tax efficient repairs as well uh, and thinking about that as you do upgrades and things to the property without obviously being an improvement or doing repairs that could yeah there is a loophole like you say there is a few loopholes where you could make improvements or upgrade things but still have them tax deductible like the single glaze to the to the uh, double glaze 
I am. Don't use the word loopholes, please. Okay. You are folk think they're dodging ducks. It's like we're not yeah. dodging ducks at all. It's perfectly legal. It's an allowable expense. All you're actually doing is you're not engaging in tax evasion or avoidance. Really, you're just getting your ducks lined up so that you're yeah. using the most efficient tax regime. Tax efficient repairs. Yeah. Right? That's basically absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and just, not only could you claim back the costs, but you'll also protect the value of your investment. Your tenants will obviously love you for the fact that you're looking after their home, which means they'll stay longer, and then you have longer tenancies, fewer complaints, and minimal void periods, which ultimately is the goal if you're going to uh, be looking to do long-term um, buy-to-let investment. That's ultimately the goal. When you talk about void periods and stuff like that, this is a good one. And now, I, I stood up at the, a recent meeting, the, yesterday it was, I think the housing minister was there, uh, Patrick Harvey, and somebody stood up and tried to castigate me and said, uh, you... Tell Patrick Harvey how much you're making in terms of that. Because I said to them, I'm making a minimum of 15% net return on what I'm doing. And, and he felt I would be affronted about it. But I went, no, I'm making 15% net return on what I'm doing. Um, but I'm not charging anybody anymore in terms of the rent. I actually charge, if not less than what the actual local housing allowance rent is set by the rent assessor, which is actually quite a low rate. But what I do is I keep my occupancy rate high and I keep my interest rates low and my cost of capital, and also my I get good costs for my improvements and repairs. And that's how I managed to make a 15% net return minimum on what I do. That's the key. It's not about, you know, you have to charge a decent rent, fair enough, but you can. there's other ways to be efficient and actually make more money on the bottom line. Yeah, definitely. That, that was me just having a rant after yesterday. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, and the next the next bit I was going to go on to was obviously um, looking at things that are perfectly acceptable by HMRC um, and obviously are a kind of win-win situation like the window, the window situation where you're improving energy efficiency, you're improving the, the quality of the window in the property, but it's still considered yeah. um, obviously tax deductible. So, yeah, be tax well, efficient. Um, Another top tip here, Richard. Uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt again. Um, it's all coming back, you see, because I'm thinking about what I'm do, what I do. So I get almost to the year end, which is the 31st of March for us. It's the 31st of December for my limited company. Uh, so I have two different setups. I have a sole trader and I have a limited company. Um, and before I get to the year end, I just kind of look out where the tax is going to be in terms of that. And I think to myself, is there, is there improvements I want to do before the year end just to be more tax efficient than actually... <laughs> do after the year end into the new year um, and I get a better deduction straight away rather than having to wait. So it's it's kind of like that. I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. So again, if that's something somebody wants advice on, then please feel free to contact us. And James, you're smiling. You obviously do the same. <laughs> so I do the same, but because I, because I do my paperwork quite frequently and have spreadsheets and whatever else with uh, various forecasts and projections and stuff like that, I know that Towards the tail end of the year, you know, if I'm coming in kind of high, I'll find something to spend the money on. Aye, and 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 it's and and when we talk about find something to spend the money on, so nobody thinks that we're running out and buying Ferraris. Um, that's not what we're spending on. We're 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 finding something that we're spending the money on, and I have to say, I tell you what, I'm going to pull forward that new kitchen. I'm going to Absolutely. pull forward that new bathroom. I'm going to pull forward that new heating system because we're maybe coming into winter now. So I'd rather do it now for the for the tenants' welfare. Um, and we'll put the new kitchen for the tenants' welfare, put the new bathroom in for the tenants' welfare, or I tell you what, I'm maybe going to think about doing that roof again or getting yeah, it inspected. Yeah. So these are all things that we would 
we want to do and pull forward as a result. And that's exactly what James means by that statement. Yeah. Also, I um, I noticed obviously you, you mentioned about uh, limited companies there, Jim. And I think if you are someone who owns more than one buy to let property or obviously plan to do that and you're building a portfolio, then it's really important to think about maybe a limited company, especially even if you're a, a higher uh, uh, rate taxpayer as well. Obviously, looking at putting your properties into a company might be the right answer as it will give you certain tax advantages as well. Uh, and I believe, obviously, well, I know both of you do that already. Why do you do that? Here? Why did I do that? Well, obviously, yeah. the changes in legislation as far as what you're able to uh, reclaim, uh, and I'm obviously building a portfolio for the future. Uh, I want to build generational wealth, and I've not done it perhaps in the best manner. Uh, I've started my company on a dumb basis, and it's all controlled by ordinary shares, whereas I should have had different classifications of shares so that I can hand it down to my daughter. But uh, that's something I can retrospectively look at now that I, I know about these smart companies. Uh, and it helps things like uh, succession plans, that sort of thing, for when I yeah. pop off the earth. It basically limits IHT liability towards the end of your, the end of your life and whatever else. Yeah. We yeah. think we're invincible, but the reality is you have to come to the conclusion if you are going to start, start and, and, and with this thing about building generational wealth, you have to think about how will that impact on based on the current legislation if anything does happen to you. And will inheritance tax be a problem or not? And and you're absolutely right. The company set up is probably the way to go for people because the majority of occasions, uh, most people will now probably start to, uh, where a couple of buy-to-let properties will probably start to fall into the higher rate category as a result. And and it's through, and it's amazing how they don't understand how that happens. But again, it's maybe a bit too lengthy and discussive for this conversation. But if anybody wants to know if they should be doing in their own name, they should be buying in their own name, or they should be buying a limited company, please feel free to contact us or, or comment on here. And we'll, we'll give you feedback on that, or we'll, we'll contact you and we'll do something about it. And I did mention the pension uh, system before, but uh, even with a limited company, if you're still working, there is actually a way you can wash out your entire national insurance and uh, income tax liability. So I've looked yeah. at it in quite extensive detail. Uh, and you can also do the same with a limited company. Obviously, if you're paying a pension from the company itself then your corporation tax becomes lower yeah good good shout i mean there's a yeah. lot of good information there yeah there is a lot of good information there and like you say jim um, any anybody looking for any further information on that feel free obviously contact us but yeah i mean your rent received um isn't added to your personal income if you've got a limited company and instead it attracts corporate tax which is currently around about 19 percent uh, with no upper tiers unlike your income tax um, and also, you could claim back interest on your mortgage as a business expense, uh, as an as advantage that grows, uh, and as an advantage that grows your portfolio. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, key elements there which are important about having a limited company if you're looking to grow and build your uh, vital portfolio. Now, I've been asking time again, um, and and I've, I've seen a question come in recently um, about this, about you know what. Why is interest deductible against the full income on a corporation, on a limited company, but why mm -hmm. is it not on a person? And the reason for that is because they can't do it on a limited company because it will have further implications for every limited company and PLC. And that's why they can't apply that same rule because they all have lending as well for corporate assets that they have. 
um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it could possibly have wide ramifications throughout the business world. So I think for now that if you are concerned about the deduction at lower rate and higher rate for you as a person buying in your own name, again, limited company is the way to go. However, with that in mind, uh, I suspect, and I have seen it in the past, somewhere on the discussion paper many years ago, where the government at some point in time is going to consider if you're the only one person employed by your company or you're not employed or there's nobody employed by your company, it will be taken as income rather than corporation tax in the future. How they're going to get away with that and how they're going to do that, I do not know, but everybody thought they wouldn't do it with the sole traders. And the court, uh, the court of Appeal uh, upheld it and said, yeah, that's perfectly legal. I have a suspicion that they're going to try and use the same sort of thing as they've done with uh, contractors and use the IR35 route. Yeah. You're an employee, you're then deemed an employee of the business, and therefore you end up creating this new employment structure and no rights employment. Yeah. So that, that, that they'll get around it some way, and I think that will come in eventually. But, but So just be aware of that. So the, the key here is then what to do is if your best mates are a landlord as well, then just employ each other on each other's payrolls. How will that work <laughs> yeah. two people employed. What about husband and wife teams, Jim? Yeah, you've got husband and wife, and and so you there, there's there'll be ways to there'll be ways to get there'll be ways to mitigate it in the future possibly, but I, I've got a funny feeling it's going to happen eventually. Listen, though, the key here is don't let that stop you investing in buy to let. For goodness sake, there's a there's an amazing amount of people who will wait to see what happens. It's like as I said before in previous shows, it's like I've got somebody that's still waiting after thirty years. Yeah, I think now is the time. Well, now was yeah. now now is the time thirty years ago and every other yeah. day after that. Yeah, that's right. Well, you're a winner if you take the action. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's literally it. I mean, you know, setting up a company is easy enough. It could be, well, it can be actually done in 15 minutes online. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You can buy them for about 50 quid, in between 50 and 150 quid, depending on what type of um, additional add ons you want to. Um, mortgage, but mortgage lending is different with fewer lenders and slightly, slightly higher interest rates for, for limited companies. Um, Classic example, just now, I'm at the Bank of Scotland now, so they're going to give me base plus 0.279 interest only on my, on my, on my, for my limited company, which I'm actually quite surprised about, because like the, the limited company mortgages are now are something like 3.68, um, yeah. so I'm actually, I'm actually quite enthused about that, but there is other buy to let lenders that could give good rates, I mean, James, have you seen any good rates out there? Yeah, I was just speaking to Richard before the show began. Uh, my mortgage offer came through for one of the properties I'm buying in Glenrothes at the minute, and that's came through at 2.76, and that's in the wow. limit. Superb. Yeah, Superb. that's good. And is that, what sort, is that a fixed rate for five years or two years or fixed one year? For, fixed rate for two years, so I've got the flexibility, obviously, uh, then pull money out of, the, out of the property once it's had a refresh. Yeah, because I reckon prices will go up probably in the next two years, probably maybe about 10%. In the next two years, in the next four years, probably about twenty percent in terms of the appreciation. So, um, so I, I think I might end up going for a five-year fixed rate deal. Um, um, that's that's where I think I will be because if I it goes automatically, then I think the I think for me the um, the repayment clause, if there is one, it will be probably minimal into the what I could impact on getting the extra out quicker. Absolutely, but you have to weigh that up: opportunity yeah. cost, opportunity loss. Uh, opportunity gain that's management accountant coming back to an industry and and that's kind of how i look at it in terms of of, of the buy to let business
Well, so, I, I can take the view that if you if you wait out the two years, you can pull out the money, but then each subsequent deal has to be the sort of for the longer term. Because you're not going to be able to pull that money out each and every time you come to renewal. Yeah, that's it. And and would any of us pull it out, pull the money out for buying a new car or anything like that? <laughs> would any of us pull out money for put, putting into new assets to earn money? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Imagine being paid to wait till the price goes up. That's the only industry in the asset class where you can get that. Eh? Um, uh, but then, uh, and you know, we could boast about that. But the reality is, we also take the risk that the price could go down. Absolutely. So that, but that's that's the risk you take for being in business. So anybody that goes out there and says, "Oh, that's unfair," it's not really because we take the whole risk and the whole matter, and anything could go wrong. Look at the one I've got sitting empty. I've had it sitting empty for four years because the guy upstairs will only fix the roof and it's coming into my property. Luckily enough, the insurer's covered it just now and I'm okay with that. And that's the that's the point of planning correctly, making sure you minimise the risk involved in that process. But, but you know, you, I, I never saw that happening. Um, so imagine if you weren't insured properly and, and God forbid, Richard, it was maybe the same case as mine. We had that other landlord who insisted that I'm covered for DSS. Yeah, but he wasn't there, yeah. Right, and, yeah, I mean, we... and the boy walked in the door and says, oh, we can cover that, no bother. What's the, what type of tenants in there? Oh, well, it's somebody that's on local housing allowance or housing benefit. And he went, oh, I don't think we're covered for that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, boy. Yeah. And, and yeah, I do distinctly remember asking that landlord at the time, showing them our insurance policy, showing them our insurance says, you will be covered for every type of tenure under your thing. So don't worry. And he goes, no, 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 my, you know, National Farmers Union policy will cover me for every type of tenure. And I went, are you sure about that? Please check. And he insisted. And then that happened. And lo and behold, it was £25,000 later in damage. Yeah, and that come out of his pocket. Yeah, but not can, you force, can you force the roof repair via the Tenements Act? Local authorities wash their hands. Yeah. You're a landlord. You don't live in the property. Yeah, that's been a difficult one, Jim, and, and luckily, right. like you so say, you've got... the Tenement Act, it was meant to work on behalf of everybody and all homeowners, including us, local authorities, no border backside. They don't want it, they don't want it, give the time of day because it's not somebody living in the property. Never mind the fact that the tenant was in the property and had to move out as a result of that when he had lived there for several years before. Mm -hmm. uh, local authorities, no bother, wash their hands. Even though they've got a duty under the law to do it. So what does that say? Yeah, that's Moving. an unfortunate one. Moving but luckily on. you've got the right insurance, which is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you didn't have the right insurance, then uh, that would have been uh, a lot of big, a, a different situation than what it is. Somebody once uh, says to me recently, uh, last week, he says, Jim, I watched your videos, you're awfully opinionated. I mean, really? <laughs> I never knew. Where did they get that? <laughs> that's, that's their opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's talk about um, capital gains tax plan. Capital gains could be a real downer for a business, and particularly if you're a higher rate taxpayer with a large chunk coming off your profit when you sell a buy to let. Now, ultimately, obviously, this is a big, this is an issue. Obviously, when you sell your buy to let, a lot of people, like you say, are in it for the long game. Um, but you can offset some of this with your annual tax-free allowance, um, and also if the property was your main house before or after you rented it but there is a much better strategy so let's explore that then Jim you've dealt with your capital gains I think you sold a couple of few years ago yeah, um, yeah. 
last year. Last year. Bought, I, and we talk about never ever selling and uh, yeah. and actually just remortgage the property, bring the money back out. But but for me, the the gain was too good to too good to be true. Yeah. And and it, for me, it ticked the right box at the right time to enable my daughter to get a deposit for her house. So it it, it kind of made sense. Um, and the the advantage of having husband and wife with capital gains is if it's in your name solely, you can transfer any proportion you want to your wife on the same day with no capital gains involved, and you can use her allowance as well, or vice versa. If it's in your wife's name, she can transfer some to you. If it's in both your names, you both get your allowance anyway. So you get an allowance of 24600 um, if you sold a property in the year and and it was um, it, there was a gain of twenty four thousand six hundred, um, so I've actually I've actually utilised it and here it comes. I've actually got some of my properties now which I'm actually selling to my limited company because because I'm utilising the capital gains allowance, selling it to the limited company, therefore not having to pay the tax on it because I really want to transfer it to the company, but I'll nail it to the wall. So this has allowed me to do it. Unfortunately, you still have to pay the four percent ADS. So you're still getting nailed for, you know, if you're selling a, a property. One one example was it was 76000 I bought it for. I sold it to my company. I've had it for maybe about 10, 12 years, maybe 15. I sold it to my company for the market value, which is 100000 just now. I don't pay any capital gains on it, but I'm having to pay £4,000 in additional dwelling supplement. So it's, you know, it's 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 fantastic and it's not. So, you know, it's the yin-yang, the rough and the smooth, the good and the bad. You just got to suck it up. It's a long-term investment. I'm going to hold it forever, um, and it's going to be passed on to my children as well. So it's it's and it's going to earn money and, and appreciate still in value. So it made absolute sense, but it was a really good way to utilise my capital gains allowances. And that's what I'm looking at doing just now. Uh, I'll just do one say, James, what about you? I'd, I'd my wife as a director for a limited company, and then we both enjoy the. Well, I don't know if we enjoy it, but we both get the capital gains tax uh, allowance, just as Jim described before. So I think I'm going to be hit for about six thousand pound all in. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the capital gains that will be due and the additional dwelling supplement. And uh, then you've also got the benefit as well, James. Um, you know, if the property was also your main home before or after you rented it out, um, sometimes there's more advantages because I I'm sure the the I'm sure there's still the tax advantages with it. With, with, so with, I think there's you, a I think there's a five year time limit. I think there's a five-year time limit if it's been your personal residence and it's been converted into a buy-to-let. So I think there's yeah. a five-year five period that you can move it across. Yeah, there used to be there used to be huge advantages for having a what what, what was it called principal private residence. Yes. That was one of the tax advantages. Where if it was, you would have huge advantages. Uh, and like what James has said, but these the, the the government started to cut back on them and take them away. They took away the wear the wear and tear allowance of ten percent on furnished properties. So they yep. took that away completely. I mean, that was a really good allowance, and, and unfortunately, that's been taken away. So that's that's brought everything down as well. So it's difficult to reinvest money if you're not getting these kinds of allowances. Um, but equally as well. Um, they've also got one as well when you go to sell it. I think it's been cut back, but I remember when I had it and you lived in it previously, if you go to sell it, even in the last four years, you get the capital gains free and you up to £40,000 worth of allowances. Now, I think it's been cut back to uh, like maybe 10 or 15 or something now. I think my solicitor told me that as long as I either disposed of it or sold it or whatever, 
uh, within the five-year period, then I'd be able to claim the ADS that I paid for the new property. Yeah. And it was quite substantial because we went from a £100,000 house into one that was like three times the value. So it was quite a bit of money. But this this comes back to the strategy about, you know, if if you never sell your buy-to-let, you'll never pay capital gains on it. That's the reality. Yeah, so, I think. And then ultimately the, the best strategy is to never sell your buy-to-let property and then you'll never pay capital gains, like you say, Jim. Yeah. Um, and so, that's when it comes back to saying that if your property goes up in value, the classic example, if it goes up, Say your property you bought for fifty thousand, it goes up to a hundred thousand. Your mortgage is only maybe thirty thousand at the time. If you get seventy five percent loan to value now on a hundred thousand, you're getting seventy five thousand out. You've got thirty thousand already, so you get forty five thousand out. So you're getting forty five thousand out, and it'll be it's it's literally it's tax free because there's no yeah. gain on it. It's no taxable, and yeah. therefore you're able to take that forty five thousand. You're able to reinvest it to put deposit on buying another property. So you can actually earn money on that and you're still earning money on your existing one that you've got because you've no sold it. So it is a really good strategy never to sell. And going back a bit, there was another thing that I'd, I'd forgotten, but I've now remembered in terms of limited company expenses and stuff. So yeah. it's quite conceivable that when you start off your limited company, you will lend your company money. So that has to come back out at some point as a, a tax the amount because obviously yeah. the debt. And that lowers your uh, your liabilities as well. Now, what you don't do what I did in the beginning, here's what I did. I actually put it in a share capital. Damn. <laughs> or I put it in as a share premium, which again you kind of take out. So if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna give money to your company, set up a you know shares, nominal shares, and put a token amount in as a share value, but actually lend the rest to your company. Therefore, you can take it back out when you need it, and it's not taxable because you you lent it to them in the first place. Yeah, I put it through as a director's loan, a loan agreement. Uh, I've, just done that. I've just done that recently as well, James, yeah. yeah. Um, probably the other advantage as well, um, lifetime, never to sell, still I think money it, in it. Um, yeah, I think, I think here is, when I've talked about that, and let me qualify this again, I've been very, very careful because it comes across, it will come across with some people, like we are coining it in and we are raking it in at the expense of other people's you know, lifestyle, you know, I'm talking about the tenants and, and first-time buyers, but you've got to understand, more or less every single person that lives with me chooses not to buy a house because they can't buy a house, not because they want to buy a house, because they can't buy a house. Therefore, if I wasn't to have these houses, they would have nowhere else to be housed because the government doesn't have any houses for them. So the key here is, by me saying, oh, yeah, I'm buying another property and I'm making more money and all the rest of it, it's like, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have a house. If it wasn't for James, they wouldn't have a house because he adopts the same way. It's yeah. not We're not going out to take away houses from first-time buyers, to take away houses from people that want to upgrade or downgrade. We're actually providing a, a facility for what the local authority and the government is failing in. Absolutely. And that's my methodology. It's not me buying another asset, it's me providing another home for a family. Exactly. And my argument to this every single time to the government is if you don't like it, build more affordable accommodation. 110,000 properties in Scotland over the next 10 years is not enough. Here's my opinionated bit. We are also behind already. The last 10 years, we've only done less than 20,000 when we need 25. So if you've got a shortfall of at least 5,000 at minimum, that's 50,000 shortfall. If you're building 110 now, you're only really building 60,000. 
But if you're falling back by 5,000 every single year and you're building 60,000 over the 10 years, you've only built 6,000 a year, you're only actually building what you're meant to build in the first place. If you're only 25 and six, you're only building the 25 and above. I'm sure I've seen a report that over the next 10 years, I'm looking for two, uh, is it 26,500 yeah. properties need to be built to even meet the need. And that's the point. We're spinning wheels. We've gone right back because yeah. they've never caught up in the first place. So all they're doing is replacing what they've not done in the first place over the last the last 10 years. So yeah. my, my reality is, do you think the buy-to-let market is going to continue to boom regardless of the 110,000 houses that they build? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not going to change. There's still going to be a huge demand. There's still going to be a huge, you know, a huge demand on your properties. Rents are still going to continue to go up. And I don't actually see after yesterday's discussion with the housing minister that there's going to be a way that actually we're going to be able to control the rents. Well, I'm just going to say that obviously Patrick Harvey, he's been banging the drum about uh, landlords and the evils and so on for such a long time. But he's never really considered what if that function wasn't there. Yeah. You know? I, I after the after the discussion, I think it's online somewhere anyway. But after that, after that, what he said, I was I was actually thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have not thought through the consequences of your actions. I mean, it's great to get up there for political points and actually say to the public, we think the rental the rent should only be twenty five percent of less of your income. It's like that's all very well saying that, but if you cap that, okay. And you, you'll end up exactly what the utility companies are like now. Because as costs go up, then therefore our rents can't go up. Therefore, we can't reinvest. Therefore, guess what? We're repossessed. And if we're repossessed, the banking system collapses and everybody else comes with us. Exactly. And then there's no housing for anybody because all these people are now homeless because they've nowhere else to go because they'll have to leave because the house has been repossessed. And no so, one's to get a mortgage. Yeah, he, he doesn't he, he, he doesn't understand and they don't understand. And that's fine. They're, they've promised a consultation. They've promised to go through the process. They've promised to tell us openly what they thought and, and take on account our feedback as well over this time because I don't think they have the answer at all. It's good for political points and it sounds fantastic in theory, but in practice, I don't think it's practical. How on earth are you going to put a rental cap, think about this, on our rents in Scotland if universal credit is right throughout the UK. Because then you're, you're mm. out of kilter with universal credit. What if universal credit's more than what the rental cap is? That means universal credit and the government have to change. Well, they can't, because no. it's the UK government. That's what that's the rule we live by now. So you'll know, you'll, you'll, you'll know to go against that. People will actually suffer as a result of that because they won't be able to pay the rent because it's out of line with the actual UK system, which we're and we're part of. So again, Absolutely. he doesn't understand. And and I think he I think he's touched on it a wee bit because he did mention we're gonna have a wee bit of challenge with universal credit. Um and you're damn right you are. Yeah. <laughs> you're no you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to solve it. Um, because you'll have to ask them to change for Scotland. And guess what? England's ten times bigger. <laughs> Do you actually think England's gonna change for Scotland? No, that's not gonna happen. Um so I don't think I don't think this will happen. I think eventually it'll get kicked into the kicked into the grass, into the long grass, and and that's where it'll stay. I think it's just a, a favour that the SNP is doing in order to get their votes on side just now. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear anybody's comments on that. A lot of trolls on having a go at me now. 
No, a lot of good points there, Jim. And yeah, if anybody's got any views, then please join in. Um, but um, yeah, as you say, obviously, rental demand doesn't show any sign of dwindling anytime soon. And I think if you are a landlord or an investor, you need to look at things for the long term um, and uh, properties that are going to give you a lifetime of service. Um, and obviously, looking for the right properties and things, feel free to speak to myself or obviously um, anyone of the team for properties that are the ideal kind of property that's going to give you that uh, long-term lifespan for a good, healthy buy-to-let portfolio. Um, and as values increase over time, you're going to then obviously be able to use that capital to continually expand your portfolio, release some money, and you won't have any capital gains, tax, liability. Um, so yeah, so it's all about thinking about it logically. Uh, and I think with the way that the market's going, like you say, with the dwindling social housing, um, the demand in the private sector is going to obviously just continue to increase. Um, so yeah, that's really a, a good strategy to kind of follow. And if you need any advice on that, definitely speak to me about property that um, will give you that long lifespan um, and a vital portfolio. So Jim, obviously you've just been building your portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, you've, you've expanded it quite a lot over the last year. Um, yeah. And this yeah. is the same kind of strategy you've, you've adopted. But it's exactly the same strategy you've adopted. Yeah. And you obviously yeah. find it to be successful. And James, I know you use the same kind of business model. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a formula that works every single time. It's, yeah. it, and I keep calling it the McDonald's formula of buy to let. It's, it works once you understand the dynamics and how to do it. And it is fairly simple. Actually, I mean, the course I'm building just now, I was, I was, really, pro I was really desperate just to call it three simple steps to financial freedom. Because effectively, that's what it is. You find your finance, you fill, or you find fill finance, do yeah. whatever you want. But that's that's in its thing, and everything everything just flows down from there. All the wee subsections of what you need to do in order to, to achieve that. But a lot of people out there make this complicated so they can sell you a big, massive course at a huge cost. Um, but the reality is, once you understand the fundamentals, you don't need these people anymore. Um, you could actually literally do it yourself with the help of people around about you, like ourselves, that actually help you grow that business. Because um, it's like-minded people. Um, so I, I definitely think um, it's pretty straightforward to do, and anybody can do this. You just have to understand. You don't understand as well, probably James. You, 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 you maybe, you maybe have experienced this in the beginning. It's like, well, where do I get the money from? Um, and it's like you've been how much money you've got actually lying about, <laughs> and and you didn't really realise. I mean, at the start of the year, I said to you guys. It's like, oh, I'm going to set a goal of buying eight properties, and it's like I think I'm on seventeen now, and, and I'm and I'm after another portfolio of sixteen, um, and it's yeah. like because then I started to think about what have I got lying about, and it's like you know, and then it's like, well, wait a minute, um, God, I never kind of had that much, and it's like let's have a look at the valuations of the properties now, and it's like, wow, like really, it's and and then when you start to think about all these things and the things that you can do. And then what was available out there in terms of the banks and stuff like that. Um, I'd go to banks. Um, I can't go to mainstream buy-to-let lenders because it's like too big. Computer says no. Um, that's it. <laughs> so I, I'm now up the level of just having to go to corporate banks now and saying, no, you fund me. This is what I'm wanting. This is what I've got. And they go, yeah, job done. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm now. Whereas, James, I think you're still at buy-to-let lenders. So I'm still at buy to let lenders at the moment. Uh, preferred lenders, obviously, the mortgage watch, but I think they've got some ridiculous, like, living house policy or living property policy or something before yeah. you then have to move on to someone else. Yeah. Um, have you thought about angel investment, Jim? 
me for investing in someone else, because I'll certainly <laughs> didn't need it. <laughs> Everybody comes on to me and says, have you ever thought about bridging finance? I went, uh, self-financing. And I went, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, if I want money, I'll just get it to myself. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, you know, have you needed, do you need insurance? Uh, self-insured. Uh, like, well, why is that? Because like, if anything goes wrong, I just pay for it. I don't need to really have the insurance. So so my excess is a thousand pound. Um, because it keeps the bills down and it's like my I only really plan for the house burning down. That's effectively it. Um disaster you know, um recovery, if that yep. makes sense. Apart from that, bits and pieces that happen here and there, I'm, I'm no bored with the insurance, I'll just fix it. Keeps the bills low, especially when yeah. you've got a big portfolio. Yeah, good strategies and obviously if um you're building a portfolio, that's a good that's a good uh, strategy to follow any advice on that obviously feel free to speak to us um, but if you do need to sell remember that you can deduct the cost of improvements from uh, your profits like extensions loft uh, loft conversions modernizing and you could also deduct the stamp duty that you pay as well as the fees for estate agents surveyors and solicitors and things as well yeah tell you a quick one somebody said to me the other day it says grind source heat pumps actually fully deductible Really? Allowances apparently in the whole in the first year, um, even if it's even if it's even if it's cost as improvement, it's, it's a fully deductible allowance. I'm not advocating putting a ground source heat pump by the no. way because it costs a fortune. I'm still not sure if they're. Uh, I'm still not sure if it's uh, try. You know, people are just trying it out first. I always say wait till everybody else tries it out first and be the guinea pig, and once it's proved, then go and put it in. Well, it's like air conditioning in reverse. So in these yeah. hot countries are often having to get repairmen out to fix air conditioning. So why would it be any different here? You're just doing the reverse process. I know. I think I think it's going to be. I, I it's not something I would I would pursue the now. And anyway, Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, just to kind of obviously on the, the tail end of uh, capital gains there, it's also worth thinking about the timing uh, if you if you do need to sell. Uh, capital gains will be added to your personal income for the year. So if you're disposing of uh, other assets like stocks and shares. Or your income is likely to fall it could be worth uh, holding off until the next tax year just to reduce your bill um, and that's kind of how we wrap up on capital gains and we're actually running out of time guys so uh, final thoughts um, on our topic today Jim get advice from the right people and, and it's not the people that have got the fancy cars and flashy flashy houses um, you know, <laughs> look at their limit, find out who their limited companies are first. Look them up on Companies House because it's free information on their public accounts. Yeah. Then you'll find out exactly how much money they've got. Some of them haven't got a pot to piss in, by the way. Um, so, <laughs> and that's some of the ones you think are seriously wealthy. They call fake it till they make it. That's what they do. <laughs> um, and they pretend to sell courses to you all the time, but that's how they're getting their money to pay for their next property. Um, that's so they're getting off of you. That's how they're being rich. Anyway, that's me on my soapbox again. James, over yeah. to you. Wrap up, Jim. <laughs> yeah, always get the advice from uh, professionals. I, I would say, uh, absolutely, tax accountant or uh, sorry, a good accountant or a tax planner or whatever. Definitely, um, and you can't go far wrong. Brilliant. Look, guys. Well, lots of good information, uh, and anybody who wants any further tips or advice or to speak to any of us please obviously drop a comment in the, the box or feel free to contact us at any time but i'm going to wrap up there so thanks for joining me guys oh and, guys uh, tomorrow watch out for the sunday slot 10 30 i've got paul yeah. champalina slum landlords tenants from hell he's on That'll tomorrow 10 30 sunday slot paul champalina so we'll see right. you tomorrow right guys cheers for that fabulous
Bye-bye. Bye.